Hello, boys and girls of Credit Union Land, and welcome to the seventh episode of the CU Insight Experience. My name is Randy Smith. I am one of the co-founders and the publisher of CUInsight.com, and it is my job on the show to have conversations with the best and the brightest from around the credit union community, to pick their brains and hopefully find a few nuggets that we can all learn from. My guest today is Maria Martinez. She is the president and CEO of Border Federal Credit Union. I was really looking forward to this conversation with Maria. I've watched from afar at all the great work she's been doing in credit unions, but we really had never had that chance to meet and have an in-depth conversation. So that's what we're going to do on the show today. When I was asking people who I should have on a guest on the podcast, over and over and over again, I kept hearing Maria's name. So I was very thankful that she agreed to be on this with how busy her schedule is. We talked about a wide range, and it doesn't really even scratch the surface of her accomplishments, so make sure you do check out her bio. We talked about Maria's path that she's taken to get where she is today. We talked about the credit union serving the underserved and her work in the Hispanic market. We talked about mentoring and the future and the importance she puts in education and financial education specifically with the youth in her community. That led so well into the leadership and life hacks section. And then, as always, we wrapped it up with the rapid fire questions to get to know Maria a little bit more. You'll even find out, much to her husband's chagrin, why she'd like to be cloned. Without further ado, I give you my conversation with Maria Martinez. Enjoy. Hi, Maria. Thank you very much for being on this episode of the CU Insight Experience. I've been looking forward to this conversation, so I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, like I said, I've been looking forward to this, so I, I just want to jump right into the questions. I have so many to ask you. I'm ready for them. All right, good. Well, let's get going. So the first question I had was, has your approach to serving your community, specifically the Hispanic market, changed since you first started at Border Federal Credit Union in 1994? And I'll add, I don't know if this is my own commentary, but it does seem like the social and political environment has changed over the past few years. Have you had to change, I guess, even more? <laughs> well, I tell you that the more I get involved in this industry, the more that I feel that credit unions are the perfect fit for Hispanics. And, and I think it's because we have the services that match their needs, their financial needs, especially. And I just don't know why more credit unions don't do this. You know, there's so much to do for them, for this group. I don't know if you know, but the buying power of Hispanics it's humongous. You know, they are the fastest growing minority. And so there's a need for them to be banked and we're not banking them. And that's the thing, you know, I know there's been a lot of social political issues come through, you know, serving Hispanics is you're serving a group that it's some are low income, but the majority of them, they have good jobs. Yeah. They have good jobs. They need a car, they need a home, they need our services. And they're not getting that through us. They're getting it through somebody else, maybe payday lenders. And we need to have them on our side because they're very loyal members, customers. And to us, you know, for me, for my credit union, it's been great. Of course, I'm in the border. Yep. So, you know, I serve that group. I don't have any choice. You know, I don't have, it's not like I can handpick, but it's been grateful for me to serve that group. I don't know if you're aware, but back in 2006, a group of credit union CEOs, we all gathered together. It was in Durham, 
it was during uh, one of the conferences that were, that were uh, was happening there. And we started a group. It's called the Network of Latino Credit Unions and Professionals. And with that group, what we do is we get together and we host an event once a year. And this happens to be during CUNA's GAC. And you're invited. So that's Enjoy. coming up. I saw that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yes, that. and those people that are listening, they, they're invited too. They just have to register. You know what we'll do? We'll make sure to link to that event in the show notes below. So we'll, we'll do that for sure. Definitely. So that is one event that we host. And people say, well, you just hosting it just to have fun because I love to have fun. But but really, we're hosting it to make others aware that there is a need out there. And if you have any questions about how to service them, this is a networking event where you can come and ask questions. I'm proud to say that this year is going to be really nice because we're going to have a congressman, which is my congressman, Will Hurd, and he's from here, from Texas. And we're also having another congresswoman, and she's a brand new, it's just a freshman congresswoman, Escobar, and she's from El Paso area. Aside from that, we're going to have Martha Ninichuk, and she's with the NCOA. And then we have Scott Estrada, and he wrote a white paper on serving uh, Hispanics. It's going to be a really, really good program. It's probably going to be one of the best programs that that we've had because we have a really good set of guests that we're going to be having. So. That sounds fantastic. I'll have to get the link to the white paper that you mentioned from Scott also, and we can link to that also below. Yes. So we will do that. I'll tell you, when you mentioned the payday lenders, a few years back when I was going through DE, we did the mystery shopping and it happened to be over a holiday. So all the credit unions and banks were closed, and, but the payday lenders were open. So that's where we went. Yes. And I think all of us were blown away by how easy and welcoming they were. Like when you walked in the door, you didn't feel threatened or bad or, you know, I mean, like just anything. So is there particular products and services that credit unions maybe aren't offering to the Hispanic market? I mean, like you said, it's auto loans, home loans. Is it all the same? You know, we don't do mortgage lending at the credit union, but we do home equity loans. Okay. We thought when we first implemented home equities that we were going to do a lot of second liens. Well, if you look at my portfolio right now, I believe we have less than 5% on second liens. The majority of them are first liens. And the delinquency ratio on that is so low. I mean, my overall delinquency is under 0.80. I think it was 0.65 we ended the year in 0.65. So it's very low because these people are very loyal. If they're not going to pay you, they're not going to pay you for something else. But for their home, (laughs) they'll pay for their house. They'll pay for their house. (laughs) They're very loyal with it their car, they need their wheels. And of course, you know, if the economy doesn't, it's not there for us or for them either, they're going to default. But more than likely, I mean, they're going to be good, good consumers. And if one of the things that we do here at the credit, you know, we provide a lot of financial education. And when you provide that, you bring them ahead of time before you do the loan, you counsel them and you tell them, you know, we're giving you because we're taking a chance on you. So therefore, you know, we're doing a lot of the, uh, you know, once they default on the first payment, we, we call them back, you yeah. know, hey, you know, that way they can come in and we counsel them again. So, but there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think payday lenders make it so quick and so easy for them. And us, because we're so regulated, we have to document for everything we do. And so that's the only downfall with, with us credit unions that I wish we had. And more lenience on that. I think it's getting better. Okay. I think uh, we're, we're doing better at that, but I just wish we didn't have all those constraints. 
and that's oh. why it's hard to bank them. Yeah. A little more flexibility for the members. Yes. Eh? When I was doing a little background homework, I guess you could say, I saw that since you started as the CEO of Border in 1997, at the time you had 13,000 members and 30 million in assets, and now over 26,000 members and around 150 million in assets. What has been the biggest driver of growth over the past 20 years? And has your membership or slash community changed over that time as well? Well, when when I started with the credit union, we had three counties that we service in, in Texas. Two of them are border towns. So we're right on the border with Mexico. As, as a matter of fact, if you ever come to visit me, we can take you across to Mexico and we go and have lunch over there, <laughs> like 10 minutes away. It's so funny. I'm going to tell you a funny story. I know we're you know doing something else here, but I'm going to tell you a funny story. So my vendors that come visit me, I tell them, hey, you know, if you come visit me, you know, uh, bring your passport and we'll go across the border and we'll go eat. And they get all excited and they bring their passports. And then when we're there, I said, and if you don't give me a good deal on that contract, I have connections here in Mexico. I can keep you here. You're going to stay. <laughs> That's right. You're going to stay. <laughs> but no, no, we've never left anybody there. <laughs> uh, no, it wouldn't be all that bad. But, you know, when we started with the, when I started with the credit union, my goal was to create jobs. I think anybody, any business owner, any CEO that can create jobs in their communities are going to develop a better community and you're going to put uh, food on people's tables because you're creating jobs. And it's not just creating a job because you, you have space, but creating a job so that those people can also, you know, bring uh, things to, back to their homes and their kids can get educated. So I think job creation should be in mind for every CEO that's out there and for every business owner. So that was the thing when I came here, our members, you know, now they expect more. I think the things that have changed through through the years is now they expect technology, they expect us to make changes. So it's becoming harder and harder because, you know, you need money to do all those things. They want convenience, we need to provide them with all that because the competition is fierce. So, but one of the things is that they love to come in to our lobbies. Our lobbies are packed because they like to come visit with us. They like our friendly staff. They, they prefer to visit our branches versus sometimes going online. Okay. And we have a lot of that. You know, it's, it's a very different community. They like the one-on-one -on -one personal business. It sounds like you've created a sense of community around the branch. Is that from your involvement in the community outside of the credit union? It, it is. Okay. It's a small community. When I'm talking a small community, Del Rio, it's about 48,000 people. And then we service Eagle Pass area which is another county, the Maverick County, and they're about another 50,000. So they're smaller towns, and those are the biggest counties that we service, and then the other counties that we service, they're big, but not that, not that big, yeah. Okay, all right. So your family immigrated from Mexico when you were 14 years old, and it's been interesting. When Gigi Highland was on the show, she talked about being born overseas, and we talked about, like, has that influenced not only her career choice, and I would ask you the same question, did your background and immigrating when you were a teenager, has that kind of guided your career? And how has that guided you, I guess, outside of credit union life as well? So my family and I came to the U.S. with a visitor's pass. Okay. We, uh, you know, my, my mom's sisters, they lived in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, I was the first one to stay here. You know, it was one of my aunts I stayed home by herself at night. And before we were leaving, we were going back to Mexico. She approaches me and she says, hey would you want to stay? You want to stay here with me? And, you know, because I stay home at night and that way you can keep me company 
And I said, yeah, but all my clothes are already in, in the truck and we're leaving. And she said, don't worry, I'll buy you clothes. So, you know, right away I go, all right, I'm going to have new clothes. And so I ended up staying and she says, you know, we'll go. There was a school right across from my aunt's house. She said, I will go in on Monday, which was the next day. And we'll see if we can put you in and go to school here for at least the, it was, that was in like in December. Okay. And uh, so, you know, I started school there. And then in the summer, I went back home and I told my mom, I said, why don't, why don't we all go? You know, I think we can have a good life over there. And then my brother, my older brother, you know, of course, you know, you're talking about teenagers. I was yeah. 14. My, my brother was 16. And then my brother says, yeah, why don't we give it a try? So we came to the States with a visitor's pass. And we were undocumented for almost 13 years. Okay. We were undocumented. Then uh, there was an amnesty that came through in 1986. And through that, we were able to legalize ourselves. But, but in the meantime, we try to make everything, the most out of everything. You know, we make sure that, and my mom made sure that we went to school, that we got educated, and that we never got in trouble, you know, so that we could not be deported back. Right. Yeah. But it was a hard experience. It was not easy. When you were 14 and your aunt enrolled you in school on the Monday, did you speak English? No. Nope. <laughs> but you know what? I was really good in math. Yeah. You know, coming from Mexico, I don't know what they what they do over there, but we were already doing algebra. And they, when she took me to school, they put me in fifth grade, which I was whatever they were doing addition, subtraction, division. That was way over. You know, for me, I, I, <laughs> it was too boring. So I was assisting the teacher. I was helping her grade papers and all that. So. But I didn't know any English, but a lot of the kids around me, they wanted to be my friend and they wanted to be the one to guide me. So it was, it was a really nice experience. And finally, they would fight over me. You know, the new, the new girl, everybody wanted to be around the new girl. Through the years, I, I learned that, you know, you got to be grateful for those people around you because I had a lot of help. And then at night, my aunt was also learning English. So she would go to school and I would go with her. It was an, an, an adult education center. Okay. And we were both learning English. So it was so funny because I ended up being the teacher. At, I was like 15 years old when I became the teacher at that adult education center because, you know, I picked it up so quick. When you're that age, I mean, you pick it up so quick. Yeah, I was the one teaching the adults English. But, but I went to school during the day and then to the adult education center at night. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So you've always you were giving back at a young age, obviously. So, I think so. It, it, it must be in your blood. You know, but you don't realize that. Yeah. You know, you don't you know, you don't realize that when you're when you're going through things. It just comes natural after a while. One of the questions that I had asked when looking through your bio was there was a reoccurring theme about engagement with young people. You know, whether it was working with kids teaching financial education and teens, now you were actually teaching yourself at 15 years old. Yes. So, um, what is it about community outreach as far as like the kids and the teenagers go that you find so rewarding? They're our future. Who's going to pay our social security? You might as well do it now. But I just wish somebody had taken the time when I was young to teach me about just the simple financial tools, you know, the tactics. We host a, because of all this, we host a camp here at the credit union. We've been doing it for, oh gosh, I think we're at least over 15 years that we've been doing this. And we bring in kids between the ages of 14 through 18. Okay. 
Okay. And we teach him anywhere from business etiquette, how to get a job, how to buy a car, how to build a good credit report. Those things were never taught, and they're still not being taught at the schools. We okay. need a lot of that. Those are the, the daily things. I remember going away to college, and every credit card company was there. But in high school, you never learned anything about personal finances, right? I mean, a program like the camp that you hold, to me, that's really cool. And it seems like it's something that should be taught in the schools as well. Maybe it is now, but it's been a few years. So. And now it's, it's so neat because they have so many apps that they can download and they can keep track of their finances. They can keep track of their credit report. There's so much that's out there that we didn't have. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is true. I, I'd like to switch it up a little bit when you get into kind of the second part of the, the podcast where we talk about leadership and life hacks and just kind of pick your brain to, you know, just help our listeners. A question I love to ask everybody is, is about the inspiration. So what was it about credit unions that inspired you to, to take the job as president and CEO of Border Federal Credit Union? So when I graduated from college, I, I got an offer for a job the same day from a hospital, which I used to work at. Okay. And then I hired one of those uh, hiring companies, you know, to give me a job because it was really hard for me to get a job after college. I had an accounting degree and I figured, well, there was this agency that was advertising for jobs. And I said, well, let me go to them. And so they call me for a job and they say, hey, we have a savings and loans that is looking for an accountant. I was, it was actually a data entry clerk that they were looking for. And then, so they said, uh, would you wanna consider it? They want, they want to interview you. And I said, well, yeah. So I went and I uh, did the interview. So they called me and on the same day that they, they called me, they also offered me a job there where I was at. So I had the option of going into banking or hospital. Okay. And I, I opted for banking because I like the way they dress. They're always so nice, <laughs> nicely dressed and all that. And I said, I want to dress like that. I want to, I want to look cool. And so I opted for that. But when I started with them, uh, I remember one day I was, I was a staff accountant and I wrote down on a piece of paper that I wanted to be a bank president. And I would always look at that piece of paper. And I, that was one of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a bank president, but it's not just writing it down. You have to do something about it. So I started preparing myself, you know, so as things went through, I, I joined the credit union. I never knew anything about credit unions. And when I started working for the credit union, I wanted to be a credit union CEO. I said, that's, that is my goal. It just happened that my husband gets a job in Del Rio and he says, I found a job. They, they need a city engineer. I want to, I want us to move and I'm going worse Del Rio. And I didn't know where Del Rio was. I had never even passed by here. And I said, well, you know, I guess this time we'll do it for you. Just like any other couples do it. You know, they move for their for their significant other. Yes, and, yes, yes. Yeah, you know what, you know what I mean. I, I <laughs> went from the south to freezing cold Connecticut. So, yes, we do. <laughs> That's right. So he moves first. And then I start calling all the banks around town, around Del Rio. And I call the credit union also. And the CEO of the credit union answered me. He says, well... We only have teller positions. And I said, well, keep me in mind. And that was like in August of 94. Keep me in mind. If something comes up, call me. And so sure enough, two months later, he calls me and says, hey, Maria, are you still interested in, uh, in getting a job here in Del Rio? And I said, yes, I am. He says, well, my VP of lending is going to be retiring. And I would like for you to come in and interview. I didn't have any lending experience, but 
I was a comptroller. I knew the accounting side and I knew a lot about credit unions. So I come to the interview. He says, you want the job? It's yours. But during the interview, I, I remember that he made a mention of him retiring. And he said, I plan to retire in about two to three years. In my mind, just I didn't hear anything else on that interview. except <laughs> that. I'm serious. I mean, I, I didn't hear anything else. I just thought to myself, OK, I know the accounting side. I know the investments, the data processing. Now it's an opportunity for me to learn all the operational side of it. And I did. So he retires and I apply for the job. And it's a funny story because when I applied for the job, I also found out that I was pregnant. And I went to my husband's office and I said, I'm pregnant. And he gets all excited. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't know what I mean. <laughs> Nobody can know that I'm pregnant because they won't give me the job. You know, uh, they've never had a woman, much less a Mexican woman, in the position and pregnant. I said, they're not going to give me the job. So... I don't know. I just felt like I had to hide it. And I hid it for five months until they announced that I had the job. And then and you're like, I'm pregnant. No. <laughs> my tummy go. <laughs> That's right. I love that story. I have a question. In those couple years, like from the time that you started at the credit union until you knew that the CEO was retiring, you knew that mm -hmm. you wanted to be the next CEO. What did you do to prepare yourself to be ready for that? So I knew my accounting. I knew my finances. And I wanted to make sure that I knew everything that had to be done with the operational side. I implemented a few programs when he said he was going to be retiring. And I told him, hey, you know, I, I applied for, for the job. And I said, um, can you tell me, you know, how to do it? And I, I still remember that he was standing by the door and he says, no, Maria, you got to do it on your own. And that, I think that just gave me more power. Okay. You know, I, wanted, I wanted to prove to him and to everybody else that I could do it. You know, you just have to learn everything. And I've always tell, even my management team, I tell them, look, if you don't know something that an employee is asking you, don't tell them no. You know, research, especially now with so many tools, we, I didn't have all the tools that there are now, but there's always a way to make things yes. Our system should be a system of saying yes instead of no, and looking for a way to always make things happen. And I think that's that's what helped me that I prepare myself and I I went to the interview well prepared with a big binder and I had questions for them too. It yeah. wasn't just, you know, them asking me questions. So I think you just have to prepare yourself for it. Has the inspiration changed at all with time on the job? Yes. It, it seems like I just want to do more every day. I wish I could clone myself. I do, but I don't think my husband would like that or anybody else here. <laughs> when I've talked to people around credit union world about you, the word role model kept coming up. So whether it was role model for female leaders or role model in the Hispanic community, role model for CEOs in general, that idea of you being a role model in a way a credit union is supposed to serve its members. Uh, it sounds like it's something that you wear as a badge of pride, that you want to be a role model for others in this industry. If classifying me as a role model is a way to inspire others, then let's do it. You know? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Yes. I mean, it, it's really hard to wear a title like that because you have to, you know, always be on the lookout kind of thing. But to me, it's a great compliment. It's, it's food for my soul. <laughs> That's a weight to carry. Is there anything that you do to not let it overwhelm you? Uh, yes, it can be overwhelming. Only if you force yourself to do things. 
I think if you're forcing yourself to do things, it can be overwhelming. But I don't force myself. I think it just comes natural. And when you do things just because they make you feel good, then it's going to happen naturally. And I think you just got to have passion for it. I just feel like every time you hug somebody or, you know, somebody tells you how grateful they are because you helped them, it energizes my battery, you know. (laughs) This was a question after kind of going through your bio and things like that. That is a 100% scratch my own itch question. How do you decide what to say yes to with the limited amount of time one Maria has? And do you say no to things? And how do you make those decisions? I've said no before. And I, I feel that if you cannot commit 100% to do what's required of you, whether it will be on a board or a committee or anything, then you got to say no. You know, because it's not fair for that company. It's not fair for that organization to have somebody that is going to be consistently absent. And you got to also know when to step back. Let's say you've served on a board for a while and you say, you know what, I just can't commit anymore. I have so much, you know, my first priority is my family or my job, whatever it is, you got to step back and say no. You know, I'm, I'm so hyper. I'm a, I'm a hyper person. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I don't need medication as long as I stay busy. Uh, that's fantastic. How would your team describe your management style and what is it that you think is your greatest strength as a leader? First of all, I don't like to micromanage. I'm very passionate about my job and improving people's lives, but I like to be in control. I mean, I think it can be a pro, but it can also be something that can go against you. I'm the type that let people do whatever it's necessary of them because I know what they're supposed to be doing. As long as you're supposed to know what their jobs and responsibilities are, you hold them accountable for it. And you don't have to be watching out for what they're doing every single day or whether they came in on time or not. I don't, I don't like to do that. I'm very lenient on that. You're lenient. That's, my, that's probably my weakness, my weakness <laughs> too, my being lenient. And then I guess one of my weaknesses could be also that I procrastinate too much sometimes. I wait till the last minute, you know, to do things. They always turn out okay, though. It, it all works <laughs> out. That, that's right. It all works out. <laughs> Is there something in your leadership style that's changed over time? I think I've gotten better at delegating, which before I think I used to do more things. And I had to start delegating because of the growth. When, when your institution is growing, it's really hard to do it all on your own. But I like to do things on my own because I, I learn from it. And then I can let go because I know what questions to ask. And so, you know, once you learn the, the project, then you can let go, but then you know, hey, I'm going to ask this question because I know this is supposed to be done. So it's it's been good. I get that completely. When I started CU Insight, I knew how to do absolutely everything with it, right? Like, And there yeah. were things that you would hold on to along the way, and that's uh, something that I talk about with my staff actually quite a bit is, okay, you got to let some of the stuff go so you can do the you know, more of the important stuff and, and delegate that off. So yeah, I know. That's, I think that's a tough one for most people, right? Um, to keep on the change topic, how have you seen credit unions change since that first day that you walked in the door at a credit union as an employee? You know, I'm really sad that smaller credit unions have slowly been disappearing. I'm a big advocate of credit unions. And as a matter of fact, I've been very instrumental on helping a couple of them get started. Or some of them that started the process they never went through. But I, I always put the word out that if anybody wants me to help them, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I think credit unions should exist or be required to exist, even like in small communities. 
even if it's not in the big cities, because the big cities have the big credit unions that can do the job, but the smaller credit unions don't. Like for instance, we serve 13 counties, and of the 13 counties, we're the only credit union that's there in the majority of the counties. And they need us there. They need credit unions. We're the right fit for those communities. I was looking forward to asking you this. As a leader, is there something that your team has heard you say so many times that they can finish your sentence? Yes. So I always tell them, you know, whenever something happens, I always say, God always looks out for us. And I always say it in Spanish also, and I'm going to say it in Spanish, uh, Diosito nos cuida, you know, because everything happens for a reason. And sometimes things don't go according to what you want. But they always say that, oh, Maria's going to say, uh, God always looks out for us. God always takes care of us. <laughs> so not a single one of them will be surprised to hear that from you. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Has there been a piece of advice or a life lesson that you received that you just find yourself carrying throughout your career? My saying has always been, uh, and I think they're going to write this, you know, when I die, they're going to write it on, <laughs> on my tombstone then. <laughs> but if you do good, good comes back to you. I think my mom was a, she was a woman that was very given. She would always be helping others. And I know she didn't have much because we were really poor growing up. But whatever she had, she always wanted to share it with others. And I think that's something that I learned from her that I'm just a firm believer that, you know, God gives some of us a little more so that we can help those that don't have anything. So it, it's always been my belief. Did your mom see you become a CEO? Yes, she did. But my mom was really, before she passed, uh, my mom was in a wheelchair and she had dementia. And she, so really, she was not really there to see all my triumphs. As a matter of fact, when I got the Her Wagner award I dedicated it to her I remember that yeah. it was her birthday that day when I got it so it was just like like an amazing thing it was it was amazing it's awesome oh, my guess she had to be very proud of you yes her. yes so another kind of a leadership style question and one that I really enjoy talking to people about is when you run into a problem or start butting your head up against a wall is there anything that you do any kind of life hacks to take a step back or relook at things you know, I, I like to get other people's opinions. Normally when I'm stranded, I'll walk down the hallway and talk to others. It may not be on that topic that I'm working on, but it just to get my mind off of it for a little while. But if I know that there is somebody that I can bounce things off from, I'll go to them and I'll, hey, I'm working on this. What do you think? I like to get people's ideas and people's opinions. Uh, because I don't have the greatest ideas. I think ideas come from everywhere. Absolutely. And you'll be surprised what you come up with. I mean, it works really good. So do you primarily do that inside the credit union with your team? Or do you have a network of people that you kind of depend on outside your credit union as well? Both. I have a, a lot of credit union friends. So a lot of times, you know, I'll send them an email, hey, or text them, hey, you know, you have a minute to talk. And the networking that I've developed through the years within the credit industry, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's, I know I can count on anybody. And now, now you're going to be on my list. <laughs> I would love to be on that list. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I will tell you that I've told people who don't work in our industry, I'm like, you would not believe just how wonderful the people as a whole are and how over the years, many of my best friends are all from credit unions and 
even my partners from credit unions. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel a pretty lucky dude, right? I love this industry that we're in. Um, if you have a free day, and I don't know if these exist for you, but if you do and there's nothing on your calendar, what passions outside of credit unions do you have? It kind of sounds cliche, but what does work-life balance look like to you? You know, I, I don't have too many of those. You're right. <laughs> I'm always doing something, you know, outside of here. There's always something that I do. I don't watch too much TV, but I love to dance. Uh-huh. I love to dance and I, I love to socialize, you know, and go to a nice bar and just drink a good glass of wine and just talk to people. And to me, that is amazing. <laughs> I mean, I love doing that. <laughs> Anytime there's an opportunity to go out there and have some fun, if there's some good music and some good company, I enjoy it. So you get recharged from other people. Yes. Uh, That's good stuff. Um, As a leader, is there a way that you keep your message fresh to your team? And how do you keep your credit union's message fresh to your members and your community as a whole? I think once in a while you have to regroup. You have to make sure that we're all on the same page. So we have meetings to regroup and to stay connected. As we have grown, one of the things that has become harder is to stay connected and maintain good communication. But we manage to come together, you know, no matter what happens. It's just really hard sometimes. But it's, it's just the communication. I think in every relationship, whether it be a marriage or, you know, a company, a partnership, there's got to be communication. And, and that's probably been one of our downfalls at times whenever we fail because there was not enough communication. But if you can keep that intact, I think it's going to happen. Good things are going to happen. When you fail, let's just say, is there something that you do to bring that back around to start the communication again? Is it just bringing everybody together or? Yeah, regroup once again and learn from mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes and there's been things that you wish, oh my God, why did I do that? I should have done it differently. But you just learn from it and you move forward. Um, You know, I think everything has a solution in life. The only thing that doesn't have it is death, but everything (laughs) else has a solution. And I always say, you know, no matter how bad it is, we're going to make it through. We'll pull this through. And I remember back in 2008 when the economy was really bad and, you know, our credit union, you know, we lost money because we had a lot of our members that lived and worked in areas where there were, there were oil rigs. And I remember that at that time, it was hard for us. You know, I, I was down because I, I don't like losing money. But, you know, what kept us really good is that our capital was so strong, even at that time that it's almost like you're putting away your savings for the bad days. And that's what we really did. We did good during those times because we had prepared ourselves to to be there. We all know they come in cycles, right? So Yes, yeah. Being prepared for it. Probably one of the things you teach in your financial education classes to the teens. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so I'd like to kind of get towards the end of the episode where we have a little bit of fun. The rapid fire questions. And the questions are rapid but your answers do not have to be. Okay. Do you have any daily routines that you have to do every day or your day just feels off at the end of the day? I keep mentioning on every show, I journal in the morning and maybe Moleskin will send Jill and I journals someday. So, <laughs> But that's the first thing I do every morning before I check my phone or email or anything else. If I don't do it, my head's going too many miles an hour. So is there anything that you have that you just have to do every day? I drink about 20 ounces of water every morning before I even get started or do anything. Before you do anything. Yes. And I feel like if if I don't drink it, like I'm not energized. I I need that. And then I take my B-complex vitamin, you know, (laughs) to get that energy going. 
you know, and then after that, you check your calendars, you know, check your phones, make sure that, you know, you have a good day. But that's about my, my regular routine. I yeah. check social media, see what's <laughs> going on with everybody. What's happening in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The random question of the show. What is the best album of all time? The one you can listen to from the beginning to end and you'd take with you if you were stranded on a desert island. I love Michael Bublé. Oh, Michael okay. Bublé is one of my favorite and he has an album called It's Time. And all the songs in that album are so good. And I've seen him in concert a couple of times and uh, he just, uh, my heart just drops when I hear uh, <laughs> We're going to put together one heck of a playlist at the end of the year from everybody's answers. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that sounds good. So I am a reader. We have a stack of books in our house that have been recommended to us. This is one of my favorite questions because I tend to go on Amazon afterwards and order more books. Is there a book over time that you've either gifted to others or it's just like that one that you tell everybody they should read? I guess I could tell you that it was the NCOA rules and regs, but no. <laughs> I don't know if I'd order that one. So I don't, I, I don't read a lot of books, but the one that I really enjoyed is uh, Who Moved My Cheese? And I know okay. it's, a, it's an old book, yeah. but I read it over and over. And I think it's because you can get inspired by it. Have you read it? I actually did, but it was years ago for me. So, yeah. But I still have it. I have the same book that I've had it for years. And once in a while, I'll just go back and reread it again. And I'll just, you know, so that I know that there's going to be change. Yep. And you, you have to be able to change things in order not to become exempt. If anything, that would be my book. Not the NCA right now. No, no, let's not. We'll do that. But, <laughs> but we'll link for anybody who hasn't read the book, because they should, we'll, we'll link to that below in the show notes also. So they can, okay. they can go find it themselves on Amazon. As you've gotten older, what's become more important to you? And has anything become less important to you? I think relationships have become more important. As I think about retirement, I think about, okay, do I have friends? <laughs> you know, who am I going to call when I'm retired? <laughs> so, you know, so I always try to be nice to people or, you know, because you never know when you're going to need them. Young professionals nowadays, they have so many tools and resources that I didn't have growing up. I think the, the opportunities are endless. Young people could do so much now because everything is given to them. It's in their hands. All they have to do is turn on a computer or their phone, whatever app they have, and they learn from it. We didn't have that growing up. But I'm so glad that I have it as I come closer to retirement because I think I'm going to be using a lot of that. Uh, absolutely. So stay connected, right? <laughs> so this is a question that I didn't send you. Okay. When you hear the word success, who is the first person that pops in your head? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm going to say my mom. Uh, I love it. And it's not because she was a professional woman. It's not because she made a lot of money because she didn't. But I think she, you know, us, the siblings... You know, she did a good job with us. And I think, you know, with that, I mean, I would give her the most successful award of the year because she did it. You know, you don't have to have success in, a, in an environment of a corporate environment. But as long as you're successful at anything you do, whether you're, you know, the bartender, you got to be the best bartender or the person that's sweeping the floor. You got to be the best at it. And I think I, I always give my mom that credit. Ah, uh, well, that's beautiful. And it seems like she's instilled that in you. So that's probably a good thing. 
I think that's a perfect place to wrap up the show. Again, thank you very much for taking the time and being on it. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Do you have any final asks or final thoughts for our listeners today? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast. I mean, I'm so excited. And I want to send shout outs. I could not leave this without sending shout outs to my staff. I owe them my success because of them. I, I could not be here. And most importantly, my family. I mean, without my family, I, I wouldn't be nobody because they've been able to support me in everything that I've done. There were days when I couldn't make a football game or a soccer game or something because I was working. But now that my kids are grown, I think they understand where I'm coming from because they're going to experience it now. And so I just want to thank my staff and my family, and they made me the person that I am today. Thank you for that. That is perfect. Well, again, we will link to everything we talked about below in the show notes. And I thank you very much uh, again, Maria, and I will see you at GAC, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. You put my email out there and I'm, I'm on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. You're everywhere. You know what? <laughs> and we will link to all of that. Is there a preferred way? Is it just any of the above or would you prefer them to go through Twitter or something like that? Or? Email is better because I check my email daily. I mean, even at home or when I'm on the road, I'm always checking my email. If people have additional questions, they will know where to find you. And again, thank you very much. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.